Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. And we are working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. And this is really looking through the eyes and lens of the Lord Jesus Christ to see how he views the world around him when he was on earth. And really, we get to look through his eyes to see how he views the world now and to give us clarity, to give us right perspective, to see through all the fog of the culture of L.A. and the culture of our world, to discern right from wrong, to be able to sniff out all the sneaky politics and all the dirty stuff going on in this day and age. When we look through the eyes of Christ, we can see his view and what he desires for us. And so we've been able to do that together as we walk through Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus. And we are in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to cover verses 6 to 8 today in a sermon titled, Stay Hungry for God. Stay Hungry for God. This is sermon number 9 in our series together. Heard of a story of a 90-year-old woman who was arrested for shoplifting. When she went before the judge in Cincinnati, he asked her, What did you steal? And she replied, I stole a can of peaches, judge. The judge then asked her, why would you steal a can of peaches? And she said, well, I was hungry. The judge then asked her how many peaches were in the can. And she said, there were six peaches. The judge said, then I will give you six days in jail for stealing those six peaches. But before the judge could conclude the trial, the woman's husband stood up and asked the judge if he could say one last word before they took her away. The judge said, sure, husband, sir, what is it? He said, she also stole a can of peas. (laughs) Jesus' worldview. Stay hungry for God. That's what we're talking about today. Steve Jobs has coined the phrase from the whole earth catalog on the back cover of their final issue, There was a photo of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. He coined this phrase from that last magazine. Beneath it, this picture were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And he gave this speech to the Stanford graduates in 2005. Six years later, he didn't know, but he would be in eternity. He said, stay hungry, stay foolish. And we know what that, what he was getting at, what he was saying is basically to stay consistent, stay persistent, be hungry to achieve, to move forward, and then to stay foolish. What he means by that is to stay kind of childlike and risky in your adventure. Really just go for it, risk it all. And while that is part of the philosophies of the world and really what usurps a person's mind and takes control of them and causes them to stay driven only to succeed more and to achieve more and to make more money and to do all of these things, we know that in the end, these things don't truly satisfy a person's soul. In a culture where being comfortable is the goal, we can find ourselves not hungry anymore 
no drive to do what is right and walk with the Lord. That's the way I see the American people today is kind of we've gotten lazy. We're, we, we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, that fervency that we once had to have to stand up and fight against what is evil um, has, has been gone from us because we got comfortable. We're no longer hungry. And you've heard the quote before, evil prevails when good men do nothing. You ask, like, how in the world have we gotten to these places today where evil is prevailing on such a high level in America? Evil prevails when good men, good women do nothing. They don't stand up for what is right. They get lazy. They're not hungry anymore. And so that's why I titled the message today, Stay Hungry for God. It's part of the Beatitudes and what Jesus says is a characteristic of a true Christian, of somebody who really knows God and walks with him is they will stay hungry. They will stay thirsty for him. And so I want to change Steve Jobs' quote from stay hungry, stay foolish, to stay hungry, stay righteous. Stay hungry, please. Stay righteous, right with God. That is our sermon today in Matthew chapter 5. Let's take a look at our text together. I want to read verses 6 to 12, closing up our Beatitudes and um, really seeing the bigger picture of what Jesus is getting at here. But uh, if you want to stand for the reading of God's word, you can do so. We always stand for the reading of his word to pay honor to him, to remember whose word we are reading. It's God's word, not mine. These are not my opinions. This is God's word. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, as he was preaching, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said this to the crowds, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would open our eyes to see your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir up a hunger and a thirst for more of you. And it would transform the environment around us. Please, Lord, use us for your glory. Bless this time of study together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, we are building upon the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, they are systematic. Jesus laid them out that exact way for them to build upon each other. Poor in spirit. Remember, we talked about being bankrupt without God, causes us to mourn over our sin, which when we're mourning over sin, we become meek. We become mastered by God, fully submitted to him, getting away from ourself. And now we see from meekness produces a hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is right. Once we are brought low, then we can start to see who God is, And the desires within us for righteousness grow. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are first brought low, and then we are starting to be filled and satisfied by God. The word hunger here in the Greek is the word pinaho. To hunger, to be hungry, to suffer want, to be needy, to crave is the word. To eagerly desire. The word thirst is dipsao. It is to suffer thirst. It is for those who painfully feel their desire for thirst, eagerly longing for their soul to be refreshed. This deep pulling desire from within, hunger and thirst, starving for what? He says for righteousness. Blessed are those who do this. Not hunger and thirst for happiness, and they will be happy. No, no. Not hunger and thirst for success, no, or money or opportunity or adventure. No, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. Very interesting to think about when you hunger and thirst for God, for righteousness, being right with him, that is when you will be satisfied in all of these things. That's when you really start to enjoy life. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, according to the scriptures, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that's results from seeking something else. We can't find true happiness until we find the true one who has made happiness, who really owns it all. Every experience that you seek out may make you happy for a moment, but then it's gone and it's really sad. My wife was sharing with me this week, it's very interesting that we, we, we pursue life and prosperity, the right to do so, here in America, the pursuit of happiness, yet we are the most, seem to be one of the most drugged nations. And what is the number one drug? Antidepressants. The American dream is producing people on antidepressants because they're not happy. You want to know why? Because they're seeking things that don't produce happiness. They're not going to be satisfied Matthew chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Listen, if you aim for happiness, you will miss it every time. If you aim for holiness, you'll get happiness thrown in. Again, if you aim for happiness, you'll miss it every time. If you aim for holiness, being made right with God, obedience to God, you will get happiness thrown in. Holiness is happiness. Living in obedience to God in holiness produces a satisfied life, which has many glimpses of happiness. We're not to walk around with fake smiles on our face all day, every day. Oh, I'm happy, everybody. Oh, everything's so great. Who... This is not real. No one experiences that except for the person with Botox, right? They're stuck. They're, they're cheap. No, but seriously, that level of happiness does not exist on the planet. So we're not to be even pursuing that. We just want peace and joy, being satisfied in God by living in obedience and holiness to him. And that will produce many beautiful moments of happiness in life. 
You see, we have been trying to fix a problem here in America, but we're really not getting to the root of it. We're trying to fix this problem of happiness, but we're not getting to the root of the problem. We just produce moments of happiness, almost like a medication for happiness. It's like the doctor who has a patient who is suffering with pain. If a doctor just gives medicine to ease the pain, but is not approaching the real problem of what's causing the pain, is this a good doctor? See, it's like, well, we know this is the real problem under here, but we're just going to mask it with um, you know, medication. We'll just give you more medication to make the pain go away. Yeah, but what's causing the pain? And how do we fix that thing that's causing the pain? Well, we can mask it by just giving you more meds. No, I need to fix that problem. We need to get down to the problem. We don't want to mask it because it's just going to get worse. That's exactly what's happening spiritually. The world is just trying to ease the pain of life over and over with worldly sinful experiences and they never get to the root of the problem, their sin, being made right with God. Point number one, if you're taking notes, hungry to be at peace with God. Hungry to be at peace with my God. This is our issue. If you don't have peace with God, you have no peace at all. Again, if you don't have peace with God, you have no peace at all. Because what happens is we always get back to the same place in life. We achieve things. We accomplish things. We make a little more money. We get this taken care of. We do that thing. And we think that peace is going to come. But when we get alone with ourselves, why don't we find ourselves at peace again? Because the same issue still resides. And that is our relationship with God. If things aren't good with God, things aren't good in life. It doesn't matter how long you push that thing off, that relationship with God off, it's never going to be made right until you go to Him. Hungry to be good with the Lord at all times. There's sin issue between you and the Lord. Deal with it. Jesus says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eyes cause you to sin, pluck it out. Get rid of it. Deal with the problem and get things right with your God. Because then you can be at peace inside. And when you're at peace, everything around you feels more at peace. But when things are not right, you're not at peace and there's turmoil of sin around you, guess what? It infects everything. It infects the relationships. It affects your job. It affects everything that you do because that sin is like a cancer just eating away at your life. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him... Who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's not about working. This is about simply believing on the one who makes you righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How do I become righteous? You believe on the one who justifies people, makes them just as if they have never sinned, forgives them of all their sin, and makes them righteous and makes them right with God. You just believe on his work and what he has done for you. And in the process of doing that, in the moment of faith and doing that, you are made righteous by believing that Christ has forgiven you of your sin, going to him and confessing it, asking for forgiveness, being forgiven by him, we are then made righteous. It is that simple. It is that easy. Being righteous is being made right with God, at peace with him. That's it. I'm righteous because my sin has been dealt with. 
I'm righteous because I've been forgiven. I am right with God. I am righteous. That's all that it is. And if you want to be righteous today and start and get back to being right with him, all you need to do is confess your sin to God and ask him to forgive you. Believe that Christ has the power to forgive you of your sin, all of it, by the work that he did on the cross. If you believe that, call upon him to be saved. Make him Lord and Savior over your life. Call on him as the Savior. Call on him as the Lord. And allow him to do that work in your life. Let God bring peace to you today. Again, we are made righteous by faith in Christ. And we continue in righteousness by faith. Again, we're made, we're made righteous by faith, but we continue in righteousness by faith as well. Believing every single day, every step of the way that God is the one who has cleansed me of my sin and is making me right with Kim. Over and over and over. It is not by me reading my Bible today that I've been made righteous. No. It is not because I helped the old lady across the street today that that has made me righteous. No. It's the same reason I was made righteous in the first place. By believing that God has forgiven me of my sin. And that motivates me when I realize he keeps forgiving me to help that old lady cross the street. To want to read my Bible. To come to church and worship. I'm not made righteous by my works. I'm made righteous because of God's work. Faith in him. Faith in him doing the work in me. And so practically, what does that look like? When a person comes to Jesus, they believe on the Lord for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. He makes them righteous. Then we continue in righteousness by believing this message over and over and over again every day. You sin today. What do you need to do? Go to God. Ask him for forgiveness. Make things right. Have peace with God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to be right with God every day for the rest of my life. You know who else I want to be right with? My wife. Every day for the rest of my life, I genuinely want to be right with her. How do I do that? Something goes wrong, I go make things right. How do I do that? I go ask her for forgiveness. They say, babe, let's make things right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. How much more should we do that with the Lord? Just going back to Him. Make things right. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? By simply believing on Him every day. Hungering for that relationship with Him daily. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness have a deep starving to be right with God and to grow in holiness every day. They grow closer to the Lord one day at a time. Psalm 42.1 As the deer pants for the flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, the psalmist said. I used to compare it to drinking salt water. It's like once you have a drink, salt water makes you more thirsty because of the salt. And it's like you drink more and you drink more and you drink more. Obviously, salt water in the ocean make you sick. But that thirst, that hungering and thirsting, it's like once you taste of God, there is a hunger and thirst for more of Him. And I believe that is what you are sensing and desiring today. I do believe that that's what you desire as the church, you want to be closer to God. I think that many times we just feel we don't know what to do. 
And I'm telling you, it's, there are very easy steps. Simply praying to him, just going to him in prayer. Lord, I want more of you. Lord, make things right with you now. I want to confess this sin. I want to get this out of the way. I want peace with you. That is the first steps for living a life of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And you will be satisfied. The next beatitude is verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is a very searching statement. It begs the question, who are the merciful? It is a real testing of our faith to see if we are in the faith. Only the one who has received and continues to receive mercy from God because of salvation can continually, consistently be merciful. Being merciful is a part of who we are as Christians. You can't just magically be merciful the rest of your life, especially when people do really wrong, bad things to you. It's near impossible to forgive someone who has wronged you deeply. Only if a miracle has happened. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who have received great mercy from God, because they alone can be merciful. Point number two, if you're taking notes, motivated to be merciful. Motivated to be merciful, hungry to be merciful. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The gospel puts a greater weight upon our attitude than upon our actions. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is rather meant to control us. Which means it is easy to be fake for a day. You can control the outside of yourself for a day. But Christians are convicted and moved and have deep desires and longing to continually live out the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Jesus is being lived out completely in the mind and heart of a person who is close to him. And part of that living out is being merciful everywhere that we go. Like him. Has he not been merciful to us? A big mistake people make in reading this verse is, Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. They think, if I'm merciful to others, I can receive mercy from God. If I forgive others, then I will receive the forgiveness of God. But that is a contradiction to the salvation by faith alone. We cannot earn God's favor, mercy, or forgiveness. This is a free gift of God that Jesus gives. It cannot be earned through doing something. God simply gives it to us because we believed on his message by faith. That's it. And when we fully receive the fact that we have been forgiven by God, by believing that he has done this, and his Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, when we see how much we have been forgiven deeply, we are then empowered and enabled to forgive and be merciful to those around us. Second Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. See, once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Thus, you can give mercy to others. 
One of the Beatitudes, again, of a Christian is that we love to give mercy to others because we have been given great mercy. We're made to be merciful. God's mercy makes us, transforms us, and redeems us to be a people who can truly be merciful. And it is powerful and beautiful. Have you ever been forgiven by somebody? Of course, you, Christian, have been forgiven by God, but have you ever been forgiven by somebody that you love, that you know you don't deserve to be forgiven by? And they go out of the, and they forgive you, and they are gracious to you, and they love you in the moment. You're broken. You can't even believe it. They show kindness to you after you've done something very wrong. It's amazing when that happens. It's powerful. We're not only made to be merciful, we are motivated to be merciful. God's mercy motivates us, presses us, and demands that we be merciful as he has been merciful to us. Do you remember the parable of the man in debt in Matthew 18? Listen, let me just read this passage to you. Let it wash over you. It's a beautiful story that Jesus tells. He says, Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thinks he's nailed it. Lord, if my brother hurts me seven times, should I forgive him seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, O king. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is what Jesus says. The man in the parable never truly repented. He saw God's mercy up front, but it did not affect his life. He didn't show mercy to the man who owed him money. How could you be forgiven of $10 million dollars by the king and then turn around and choke your friend out for 10 bucks or $100. You owe me $100, you're going to pay me back every penny. If we have truly experienced the forgiveness of God of all of our debt, how can we not forgive everyone else their debt? We are motivated 
to be forgivers. We are motivated to be merciful. We are motivated to be gracious because our God has been gracious to us. Family, legacy, in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you have people in your life you have not forgiven by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the words of Christ, go in Jesus' name and forgive them. Let these burdens go. Let these debts go. They are weighing your shoulders down. The only person that's hurting is you and your relationship with God. Forgive them for God has forgiven every single ounce of sin in your life. Everything, every drop has been taken care of by the work of the cross. How can we not turn around and pour that same love and grace and forgiveness on those around us? Let me take it a step further. As Christians, we will We do, because that is who we are as God's people. When we have truly tasted of Jesus' grace and mercy in our lives, we can't help but be motivated over and over to forgive and love others. Jesus is our motivation to be merciful. We were deeply convicted. He has saved us. How can we not be continue to be deeply convicted to go on and forgive those around us? When we look to the cross, we can't help it. We see what Jesus did. Do you remember what he said to those nailing him to the cross? He said, Lord, please, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, these Roman soldiers who just ripped my back open and are nailing my hands. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. He wasn't mad at them. He was sad for them. Look through the eyes of God. And see how he deals with the sinner. See how he deals with those who have sinned against him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They have received mercy. Happy is the man who pours mercy on others. God's happy. God has done incredible works in the universe. And he has mountains of joy to ride upon forever because of what he has done. Finally, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is a pure heart? And what is to see God? Well, this is a very popular saying. This is a very popular one that people like to look at. It's very misunderstood. Many think it is saying, if I try and be pure in heart, then I can see God. And so people pursue lives of trying to be monks or saints or whatever to obtain a level of purity so they can see God. And that's not what this is saying. I will enter a stage of euphoria. I will enter a stage of nirvana by leveling up in my purity A monk would isolate himself from the outside temptations and sins of the world so that he can become super holy and then see God. I'm sorry. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things desperately sick. Who can understand this thing? You know what happens to the monk? You know what happens to the Catholic priest? They rid themselves of all of these sins, like getting married and um, you know, being in the sins of the world. They seclude themselves away. And guess what? 
in the secret place of solitude and isolation. They think they have stripped their bodies and minds of all sinful things on the planet because they're up on some mountain in the middle of nowhere. And what happens? Yep. Why is sin stirring up in my heart in this isolation? Away from everything. Why lustful thoughts? Why anger towards my brother? Why are these things happening? Why pride? Why is that secretly self-righteousness stirring in me? Look at how holy I am. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how better I am than everyone else on the planet because I'm secluded away. All these little sneaky sins start to come into the heart. Because why? They're always there. The seeds of every sin dwell in the heart of every single man. We see a disease in the heart of man and who will cure it? How do we make the heart of man pure? We can do heart transplants, but it doesn't change the mind. We can't, can we do a brain transplant? Do you think that will make a man have a pure heart? Give him a new brain. No, it doesn't work, does it? What is pure in heart? This is the essential message of Christian teaching. God is looking on the heart of man and woman. Fake religious acts can do nothing for us. God is looking at the heart, the true motives inside. Romans 10 verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from what? Your sin, your sinful heart. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10 10. Scripture explains the heart to be the center of a person's being and personality. It is the place which everything else comes from. It includes the mind. It includes the will. It includes the emotion. It includes the total person. It is who you are. It is all of you. And you can't separate the heart of a person from anything else. So now, when you hear these scriptures, you understand Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, all of your being. Matthew twenty two thirty six. teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The heart of the matter is truly the matter of the heart. How is the heart to become pure? It is by going to the one who is pure and asking him to make it pure. One of the best definitions in scripture is this. It's Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I love this word, unite. Unite my heart to fear your name, O God. If you change my heart, you change my whole being. Point number three, if you're taking notes, unite my heart to God. The psalmist is asking the Lord to teach him so he can walk in the ways of the Lord. Then he says, unite my heart as if it was divided. And this gets to the heart of the issue. A pure heart 
is an undivided heart, one that has a singular focus on the Lord, not divided in many directions. A pure heart is a heart united to fear the name of the Lord, fully united and devoted to Him. The heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it. And so we need salvation. We need that heart of flesh, that heart of stone ripped out. And we need a new heart put within us. A heart that beats for him. A heart that is united to him. A heart that is devoted to him. This is the pure heart. And only God can give that to you. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Notice it's not something that you can do. You are dependent upon God to clean your heart, to cleanse your heart, to give you a new heart. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot be devoted to one and not the other. It's not going to happen. So to be pure in heart is to be united to God's heart, fully devoted to him, loving the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Notice that is a position. That is a place that you anchor yourself. Notice that is a firm decision. Notice that is something that God does from within And it is something that happens to us where he becomes number one in our universe. Our attention is not divided on other things. It is fully put on him. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We serve the Lord Jesus first. We serve God first. Fruit of a pure heart is someone whose attention is fully dependent on God. How do I get that heart? You got to go to him. You got to ask him to cleanse. You got to ask him to work. Only the pure in heart shall see God. Only the united heart who desires to fear his name will see him. So the question is, how do I make myself pure? Again, the answer is you can't. How do you unite your own heart? You can't. How do you fix your own heart? You can't. If you have clogged arteries in your heart, you can't just fix it. You need surgery. And that, that's a heart attack if you don't. And just like that, you need a physical doctor to do heart surgery, a heart transplant. You need the great physician. In the same way, the ultimate surgeon to come in and to remove your wickedness, to remove your evil self-righteous heart and give you a new one that is united to fear the name of the Lord. And so we beg him, Lord, cleanse my heart. David was already saved when he wrote that Psalm, Psalm 51, but he had sinned greatly against God by, remember, taking a man's wife, getting her pregnant, killing the man. And afterwards, when he saw his sin, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit with me, within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. Some of you need to do that today. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. My joy is gone. I don't have peace anymore. Because sin is clouding the vision. You can't see God anymore. You got to cry out to him for a new heart. Cleanse me. 
make me right, do the surgery, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus did the work on the cross. The pure in heart can see the invisible God on earth in everything. Keith Green, I say it all the time, it's like waking up from the longest dream, he said. How real it seemed until your love broke through. I was lost in a fantasy until your love broke through. Remember? Remember that day you started seeing in color? Remember that day when all of a sudden you saw God in creation everywhere? You just started seeing him. You saw his attributes, Romans chapter 1. We see him in lives. We see him in moments. We see him in movies. We see him in people. We start seeing him in everything. I see him in surfing. I love it. We see his attributes clearly everywhere around us. The pure in heart, who have a new heart, who have a heart that beats for God, actually see God everywhere. They see him in everything. Moses saw him. Yes, as a friend sees a friend. But listen to this. Listen to this abstract perspective. Hebrews 11, verse 27. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It sounds like us. Sounds like you. Sounds like me. Where is he? He's invisible. Yet he is everywhere. We can see him in the details of our lives. We can see him in the pages of scripture. We see him in the detail of that leaf. We see him in the sunset. We get glimpses of God everywhere and only the pure in heart can really see God. Stop letting the sin cloud your life and fog your vision. You load up that heart full of sin and then your eyes get cloudy and you stop seeing color. Everything goes black and white and you can't see color anymore. You can't see the Lord in things. But man, the closer you are to him, the more you see him in everything. You see him in your children. You see him in your marriage. You see him in the church. You see him even in this dark place of LA. You see the Lord at work. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to close in this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Listen to how this verse aligns. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. Now I see in a mirror dimly, but then when I get to heaven, when I cross over into eternity, I will see him face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. God. We're going to see him. We're going to be there. I know in part now, but then I will know as I am known, my mind will be opened and I will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have been given a pure heart because of salvation, the work of the cross in Christ, for they shall see God. They will actually see him one day. We will see him one day. I always tell you guys, we'll do a little Bible study in heaven. I'll invite Jesus over and maybe Peter will come. Okay, we'll be over by the west gate. Okay, west side. We'll be hanging out there. And uh, man, what a day it will be. And we'll look back on this time and this season on the earth. No big deal. It's okay. There's been a lot of terrible times in history. 
And I love this. One of the uh, my favorite rappers, hip-hop artists, uh, his name's Shy Lin. He tweeted this the other day. He said, you know what's going to happen after November 3rd, Election Day? God's still going to be on the throne, ruling and reigning as he always has. Eh, that's it. He's ruling and reigning before. He's ruling and reigning after. He's ruling and reigning through all these seasons of the planet. And this is just another one. Praise God we are on the team of our God in heaven who has everything under control. Praise God. We, we won already. It's not about all these other things. We've already won. And here we are in all this turmoil, trying to win, trying to figure things out. What a mess. Get your eyes off the things of the world and get your eyes on the king. Trust me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for him alone. Not right politics, not even right perfect things in the city. Hunger and thirst for him first, and then everything else will fall into place in your life. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll be on our way. Father, we... We humble ourselves now before you, and Lord, wow, thank you for giving us pure hearts. Thank you for giving us mercy. Thank you for giving us righteousness. Lord, you are the giver. You are the one. It all comes from you, and that's the only reason we're blessed. That's the only reason we're satisfied. It's the only reason we can be merciful. It's the only reason... It's the only reason... We, were, we will be able to see you. And the only reason we can see any of you now, because of you. And so we ask now once again, Father, that you would stir up in us a hunger and thirst for you. Stay hungry, stay righteous. Please, Father, we ask now, I pray for all of those listening who need sin forgiven, who need sin dealt with. Lord, they would, you would clean out their hearts, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me, we pray. Cleanse our church from all unrighteousness. Make us right with you. And I pray for many beautiful things to come from it. Peace in our lives, satisfaction in you, that we'd see you everywhere. We'd be able to forgive people, be merciful. We love you, Lord. We lift our lives into your hands. We make you king again. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for tuning in again this week to worship and study God's word. Family, please, I beg you, hunger and thirst for God above all the other things. Um, And it's like being hungry for that one meal over and over and over, you know? You're eating all this other junk on the earth. It's just going to make you sick. Hunger and thirst for Him first and foremost. And I know you'll be blessed. Family, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. Be gracious unto you and give you peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.